All right, here we go. Another amazing episode of Outside the Studio. I am so excited to introduce you all to Abby McGrew. I'm going to tell you a little bit about Abby McGrew, and then I will let her add to her own bio and her own origin story, because I love origin stories. But here's what I'm going to say. Intentionality, connection, empowerment. These three core values Abby embodies and instills within herself and her company Wayfarer, which by the way, I love the name. Uh, So with these words being the cornerstones of the company's approach to design and client relationships, Abby is committed to applying these values to every aspect of their work from the initial design concepts to the final deliverables. Um, And so I think this is the intentionality, the connection, the empowerment. I mean, like, as I look at your website, it's like heartfelt, designing heartfelt X, Y, Z, whatever it is, right? So um, I, Abby, I'd love it if you could, like I said, if you want to embellish on your um, bio, if you want to tell me anything about your origin story, because I love origin stories. And I do want to dive into, I think this is so important. This is so key as we think about that entrepreneurial life, if we have a product, whether it's an, a tangible product, right? Something that we can actually package and prepare and put on a shelf, or if that product is us, if you're like me as a coach, as a yoga teacher, as a meditation teacher, um, how do we think about really having that be a heartfelt offering? Um, so that's the direction I want to go, but maybe we should back it up a little bit and let you talk. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, thank you so much for having me. And um, yeah, I guess my background origin story, um, I always knew that I wanted to be a designer, Um, went to school for design. uh, And then I started Wayfarer, my design business um, back in 2016. uh, And I love that you mentioned, you know, the, the name, cause I, I don't know, I'm pretty proud of the name. I, I think it's, it can be so hard for people to choose a name in the beginning and especially stick with the name then for now almost seven years that it, I still feel like it's true to me. Um, the whole reason that I started the business was because right whenever I was, um, about to graduate from college, I got married and my husband got an offer to go play professional basketball overseas. And yeah, he just called me (laughs) out of the blue and said, Hey, I'm going to go to Australia right after graduation. You want to get married and come with me? And I was just like, yeah, (laughs) obviously. (laughs) Um, And so we like planned our whole wedding in a month. Uh, We moved to Australia the day after my graduation and it was just this huge whirlwind. um, But it which was exciting, but it kind of ruined my career plans because I'd always assumed I would go work in the corporate world or work in an agency or something like that. I knew I wanted to do design. I just had a very different image in my mind of what that career was going to look like. But then all of a sudden I was in a foreign country and I had no jobs lined up Um, and found it pretty difficult. Honestly, I tried applying for jobs once I got to Australia and um, it was just difficult trying to get a job on a visa. And when our life is pretty uncertain, we move to a new country pretty much every year. Um, So that's the situation that I started the business in. Um, So the name Wayfarer, it means a traveler. So I I chose that name because at that point in my life, that's all I wanted to do. I wanted to be able to travel and have um, the freedom to, you know, move around with my husband, um, see the world, but also still do the work that I really loved and went to school for. Um, so it has that kind of meaning, but I feel like it also ties in really well to the clients that we work with, um, starting a business, whether it's a product-based business or service-based or or whatever, there's a lot of uncertainty whenever you're starting a business, you know, you're kind of starting on this journey and you don't necessarily know where it's going to take you or, you know, what the end destination even is or, um, and so I think, as a designer, there's so much power in just helping our clients be able to visualize this is who 
my business is. Like, this is what we represent. This is what we stand for. Um, This is what we're growing towards. Whenever we can help them visualize that through a logo, through colors, through their packaging, through their website, um, it really makes a big difference. It, It feels like I don't know. I just feel like a lot of people say, you know, I know the business I want to build, but I can't see it. I can't see what it, what I want it to look like, or I can't imagine, you know, being at this certain level <laughs> that I want to reach. And a lot of times design can be a powerful tool to, to help them finally be able to see, okay, this is real. And and I'm capable of, uh, making this, this happen. And of course there's so much else that goes into design, you know, connecting with customers, building trust (laughs) as a brand, all of that. But yeah, chose the name Wayfair because I think it ties to my personal story, but it also kind of meets our clients where they're at as well, um, that we're kind of helping them go on this journey um, Mm. together. Yeah, I love that. I want to pull on this, the intentionality behind choosing a name for a business a little bit longer because... I so identify with what you're saying. And also, as you were saying that, I started to think about, for some reason, my first tattoo popped into my head, (laughs) (laughs) which I got when I was 18. And it is on my low back. And I'm going to say that (laughs) out loud (laughs) right now. It's there forever. Although I'm sure, you know, I could go through the painful process of having it removed. It feels to me a little bit like that, like choosing a name for a business that is representative of a product that is near and dear to your heart, whether again, your product is something that's tangible you can hold in your hand or your product is yourself. And um, as I was trying to create this podcast in particular outside the studio, I really, and anything that I create actually, like I have a book of poetry, it's called uh, The Dark Moon. And um, anything that I create, that's typically where I start. Um, I start with the title. Like that mm-hmm. to me is is really like where I always want to go before I even am able to kind of verbalize, what is it this, what is this thing that I'm offering? Well, let's figure out the title first and then I'll work my way backwards. I'm not sure why I do that, but it's something that I intentionally, not intentionally, but um, innately gravitate towards. And so for me, it feels like, it feels a little bit like getting a tattoo because it feels like, okay, as I start to, like with a book, for example, like you can't take that back, right? It's out there in the world and you can't like, you can't really change the title, you know, and you can't like pull that back out of publication. I'm sure you could update it and like add a new edition and stuff. So my question around this is if anyone is out there that like has started their brand, has started their business and is like, you know, for you, you still love your, your Wayfair name, the title you gave yourself years later. What if we get to a point where we're like, God, I really I really wish I would have named my business something else. Is there ever a situation where you would recommend pivoting to a different name as, or have you ever done that? Has anyone ever come to you and and is like, I want to rebrand with a new name? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. We've had some, some people that we've worked with who have like changed up the name kind of in, in the middle or, or have just recently decided to, to change their name. Um, because yeah, it just didn't feel aligned anymore. Um, and, and I think that for, for certain types of businesses, it's easier (laughs) than others. I think if you're, um, especially if you're not having like physical, products or something that everything is printed and manufactured with that name on it, that obviously complicates things um, quite a bit. But but yeah, I think that a name change can be really refreshing, I think, for, for business owners sometimes because um, especially, you know, we find... I, we don't do like naming services. We usually leave that to copywriters, but, um, as far as, you know, people who come to us, who've been in business for like three to five years and now they're like, okay, I need to rebrand everything. Mm -hmm. And maybe they are going to change their name along with it. But I feel like that tends to be a sweet 
spot when a lot of people just feel like there needs to be some big shift in their in their business. Um, because when you start, you might have an idea of like what you want the business to be, um, who your audience is going to be, what what types of things you're going to offer. Um, but then in that first year or so, a lot can happen. <laughs> you know, uh, you might realize that something you were offering, you didn't actually enjoy it, or people just weren't liking it as much as you thought they would. And, you know, you kind of have to shift gears. Um, I don't know. That's that's generally what I find. And um, I think the the rebrand or renaming process can be, it's tough for sure. Um, but yeah, I think for those people at that place, um, we always recommend just really getting super clear on what are the values behind what you do, um, the things that you really want to be known for, um, and also looking at you know the problem that you are solving for a specific group of people, um, and not just thinking about, you know there's an obvious problem that every business solves or every product solves <laughs> what people expect. Like when people are, when people are hiring us, you know, they expect us to redesign their logo. That's, that's the obvious thing. Um, but what's the greater benefit or like the deeper emotional um, change that you are providing. That's what we really want to dive into. Um, you know, how is your service or your product going to not just solve the obvious problem, but what's the ripple effect of how it's going to impact their daily life? Um, that's the stuff that we want to dive into that could potentially influence a name that feels more true to who you are or who you're trying to become. I feel like that was a long answer. <laughs> no, I love, I love long answers. I love long and nuanced answers. <laughs> <laughs> so, because I, this, these things are just not black and white and there's no like one right answer for all of us, right? Because we each have our mm -hmm. own unique offering and what resonates with us is important. So I love that you, you try to pull that out of with each client, what is the value? because it's going to be so mm -hmm. different for each of us. Right. Um, <clears throat> and with that in mind, I'm, so I just, uh, I watched the movie air, which is about, um, how Nike's relationship with Michael Jordan formed. Yeah. And I'm from the Pacific Northwest. So Nike's always had a big, huge, uh, presence in my life for different reasons. <laughs> um, as a child, I'll just share it really quick. I, my, my parents wouldn't let me buy Nikes. And this was back in like the eighties and nineties when right then their Nike was kind of embroiled in the scandal for being outed as one of the companies that, um, was using these, uh, factories in foreign countries that didn't have the best standards for mm -hmm. working and stuff. Right. So, I never really got to be um, like part of that whole Nike experience. For me, it felt like when I was a kid, oh, it was this big, bad corporate company. So being able to watch the movie Air, and then I felt very inspired to read the book Shoe Dog, which is Phil Knight's biography about his whole reason for creating Nike, how that evolved, what it was before it was Nike, because it was a completely different name. Um, I found that so the reframing of that in my mind has been so helpful. It's also been so inspiring to, to watch, to, to be able to read somebody's biography who's gone through this whole kind of what you're describing, you go through with your clients, this whole like idea, ideation phase of like having this thing that, and I do have a question here. I'll get to it. <laughs> so having this thing that... That comes from, it almost like to me when I, have you read Shoe Dog? No, I haven't. Okay. Well, so but I did see that movie. <laughs> so good. Right. So yeah. that's the thing I was like, oh my God, I have to read the book. Um, Cause I just love Ben Affleck's character in that movie cracks me up. Mm -hmm. um, so, <laughs> so have it, he just seemed, Phil Knight seems like a person to me that has this innate drive and vision to create this thing that he allowed to um, 
evolve into what became Nike. And that very much has to do with our conversation about around naming conventions. But I think my specific question is, do you think it is, um, you know, you were talking about problem solving, right? Like, so there are some people who come up with an innovation, a design, a product to solve a specific problem, like a pain point in their life. And then there are other people like Phil Knight's a good example who created Nike because it was just like this drive that came from within him that I don't know that he was trying to solve a specific problem, but it just felt like he was inspired to create shoes and he just wanted to sell these shoes. And it was just this thing that he didn't really have to work too hard to be inspired by, but he was innately inspired by. So I think the question is, you know, in your experience and the people that you work with, what what is it that people come to you with to create a brand in their value system? Is it like they're solving a problem? They're solving, they're addressing a pain point in their lives, or is it something that is innately inspired within? Maybe it's both, right? And is one more important than the other? Do we have to have that initial spark that lights us up to create this thing to be a successful brand in the end? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great question. So um, a lot of our clients, a lot of them do have a pretty clear like problem solution um, idea. Uh, And maybe part of that is because we make it pretty clear that like we want to work with people who are looking to disrupt their industry like they've they've realized oh there's something missing in this industry or you know this product has been done the same way again and again and again we need something different i'm going to create something new um those are definitely our people that we love to work with so a lot of them do kind of already have that in mind but i do think that um you know we'll have some clients that it does just kind of come from inspiration. Um, and maybe it's more, maybe it's not like a huge problem of like, there's no product that does this one thing and I, and people need something that does this one thing, you know, maybe it's not quite that clear. Um, but maybe they just had a personal experience. I feel like almost all of our clients, it's, it comes from some personal experience where, um, they were looking for something, um, whether it was, you know, looking for clothes for their kids, um, that were a minimal style and like premium quality and like from sustainable, um, companies, maybe, maybe they were looking for those clothes and just didn't seem like they really found um, enough options that they that they wanted. Um, or maybe it's just that they. Oh, I feel like I had <laughs> another example in my mind and I literally just lost it. Maybe it'll come back in a little bit. Yeah. Oh, I hate when that happens. I know. Um <laughs> Or yeah, or yeah, maybe it's just, sorry, I'm thinking, I'm trying to think of like the clients that we have right now, if any of them would be a good example, or maybe it's just that, um, you know, they love interior design and they've talked with lots of people and some people are like, yeah, I just wish that I had, you know, uh, and, you know, an interior design resource somewhere that I can learn that I can read, um, you know, that's just like a really kind, like warm space. You know, that's not solving this crazy problem, but it it usually comes from some kind of personal experience, I think, of where they realized, oh, I wish there was this in the world um, or more of this. And then they thought, I'm just going to create it myself. Um, that, that tends to be the theme, I think, among um, a lot of our clients. But I do think that the the passion um, or like the drive needed to really see things through. Um, At least I I feel that in my own business. Like if I did not absolutely love design um, and really believe in like my ability to help people, um, 
I think it would be difficult for me to have worked so hard at it for so long, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, I don't know. Did that answer your question or is there anything else I I should touch on? Like, I, I want to make sure I'm answering it fully. Yeah. No, I do think you answered my question because I mean, I think that's a question that's supposed to make us think like, okay, what is, what is my, um, purpose for creating this thing? It's, Mm -hmm. you know, and there isn't any one answer I'm looking for. I do believe, like I said, like it's nuanced, it's not black and white. So it makes sense that you would have the experience of having clients lean towards like, okay, they're solving this issue. They're solving, they're addressing this personal dilemma in their life or this personal desire in their life. And they're fulfilling that need. Um, so it makes a thousand percent sense to me. Um, and so thank you for your expertise in that arena. And so I wanted to, um, what I wanted to ask you about now is more about, you know, you, you had this, like you graduated from college, you were like, okay, I'm ready to go into the corporate design world and work in this. And then your, um, soon to be husband whisked you off to this whirlwind, um, adventure, which sounds amazing. And I'm so glad you said yes to, by the way, um, to like live in a different country. Maybe it sounds like each year and, I totally get that it was hard at first. And so I want to unpack that a little bit. I want to talk about like, what made you, how, what made you and how did you decide to create Wayfarer? I mean, it started from, I'm sure an idea and then maybe you built a team and will you, will you walk me through that process and what it was like for you a little bit? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, it's, it's funny because, uh, whenever I talk about my, like the moment that I decided to, to start the business and and go for it. Um, I cried (laughs) like a lot and I was not happy about it. They were like very sad tears because I just felt very unprepared, um, because it had all happened so fast. Like I'd had a very different plan for my career and all of a sudden I was having to, you know, take this totally different path, um, that I just didn't feel ready for. Uh, and I was kind of isolated. I was in a new country. I didn't know anyone there. I was very far away from like any community (laughs) that I had. Um, so yeah, it just all together, it felt like the worst time that I could start a business, but looking back, it was absolutely the best time. Um, and I don't know, everything happened the way that it was supposed to, I think. Um, but yeah, in those early days, I mean, I just, even though I didn't feel ready to be an entrepreneur, um, and I didn't know, uh, I just knew I had a really steep hill to climb. I I think because I, I didn't have like clients lined up. I didn't have a way to really network with people. I just, I don't know. I didn't know anything about running a business. Um, but I knew that I loved design so much. I literally would do it like day and night for fun. I mean, I just, I knew that that's what I was meant to do. Um, so I had to make it happen somehow. I just had to think, I don't know how I'm going to run this business and like learn all the things that I need to learn to be a successful entrepreneur, but I have to give it a shot. And if it doesn't work out, then I'll try something else. But um, but yeah, that was kind of my mindset in that moment. Um, and the, the whole first year, um, was just a lot of me absorbing any advice that I could get from other designers that I connected with online, mostly because I was in a foreign country and, um, moving around, you know, often. Um, so yeah, relying on building online relationships and learning from other people, um, who were in the industry. And yeah, mainly just creating work also, like that was the big thing for me in that first year um, to tr- to start finding what my style was going to be because as a creative, developing your style is so important. So I did a lot of, a lot of personal projects um, and, you know, taking on work to just to try and see, you know, what types of clients did I like working with? What types of projects um, did I enjoy the most? Yeah. That whole first year, I think was a lot of experimentation um, to figure out 
what kind of designer did I really want to be? Um, and like, what did I want to be known for within the industry? Um, yeah, that's, that's kind of where I started. Um, and it took me about three years before I finally, um, expanded, um, kind of got in the groove of running the business, um, on my own, but yeah, around year three, that's whenever I finally realized, okay, I'm, this has grown too big and I can't do it all on my own anymore. Um, and that's whenever I started hiring. So now we're a team of three. Um, yeah. Very cool. I love that. Was there something that, um, so many questions I have for you, but the one that's top of mind right now is, was there something that told you, how did you know it was time to take it to the next level in terms of hiring your first employee or your, or did you hire them all at once? Or was it like, okay, employee number one, employee number two, mm-hmm. employee number three. Yeah, it was definitely like slow. <laughs> um, Cause I was nervous about what that was going to look like for a long time. I didn't think I would ever hire anyone because as a creative, I think it can be easy for us to just like want total control of everything. Mixing creative styles can be difficult. Um, So yeah, I was kind of hesitant at first to hire in general, but yeah, I started by um, just bringing on people like project by project. Um, So doing contractor roles, that was a good like easy transition into just trying to figure out what's it even look like to bring someone else in to my process and trying to kind of figure that out. Um, so probably did that for like a year of having um, a contractor junior designer working under me. And then I brought in um, a contractor project manager. Cause I, at some point I realized that maybe it wasn't the design work that I really needed the most help with. Cause that's my favorite part of what I do. It was more the admin side, you know, following up with clients, sending invoices, sending contracts, all of those things that those are not creative tasks. So clearly I, those are not my most enjoyable things <laughs> that I have to do. Um, and so, yeah, bringing on a project manager, um, ended up making a lot of sense for me to like pass on those things that I didn't feel so I wasn't like holding on to so tightly, um, as the owner. Yeah. But yeah, worked with the contractor roles for, for about a year or so, and then transitioned those to part-time, um, employees as I figured out the, the workflow of having other people in the process, um, figured that a little bit better and, and also just needed people that were more, um, consistent, I guess. And now that I, 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 I didn't know if I was going to hire people at first, but after a while I was like, okay, this is working for me. I, I see the value of having other people involved. And, and then I knew that I, I didn't want people who were just gonna like be here for a project and then leave. I wanted something that felt consistent. People that I knew were committed to like growing with me. That's when it made sense to move to employees. Mm -hmm. Well, so, and this is, this is kind of a related question I'm thinking about. um, So your business is online, right? And you were talking about building online relationships to grow um, a name for yourself and creating work around that um, in your more like, I guess what I would call an incubation phase. Um, so I'm wondering if your employees are also, I'm thinking about this from the lens of like how our work landscape has changed so much since COVID. And now there's so many businesses that are still hybrid or have shifted completely online or that are thinking about going back to brick and mortar. So, um, did you, are are you working a hundred percent with your employees online? Are they do you ever see them in person? Is that important to you? Do you think that it's important for a business in general to have face-to-face contact? Yeah, no, I have never met my employees in person. They've been with me for over a year and I've never met them in person. Um, so yeah, I'm in Spain right now. Last year I was in Romania, so I was extra far away. Um, we only spend like the summers in the U.S., but um, my employees in the U S are in Pennsylvania and, um, Texas. So they're also pretty spread out. (laughs) Um, so yeah, always done it remotely. And honestly, I, it's worked fine. Of course, there are challenges that come with it. 
Um, but I feel like I have, as the, as the boss, I've tried to, you know, create moments where, you know, the separation doesn't feel quite so big and, you know, having that consistent, at least FaceTime over Zoom. Um, we have a, a meeting every single week where we see each other's faces um, with me and my junior designer. Uh, we'll schedule like co-working sessions where we're, you know, working over Zoom, but, you know, trying to get that sense of of working together, um, even though we are across the world from each other. Um, of course, I I do kind of daydream about one day having, you know, an in-person office, but right now we plan on traveling and living abroad for, for at least a few more years. Um, so yeah, I just kind of have to make it work, um, (laughs) in this unique situation that I'm in, but, but yeah, I feel like the world now is so much more well-equipped, I guess, with technology to be able to make a working situation like that, um, doable. And I'm grateful for that for sure. Yeah, me too. Agreed. Cool. Well, so I want to get into a little bit more, um, like specific questions as it pertains to your expertise. And so the first topic I want to, um, touch on is, um, building a brand, well, building a brand around strategy versus like a trend. So, you know, mm-hmm. how do we know if our, I guess, brand or product or personal self, whatever it is that we're offering is going to kind of stand the test of time versus be like cool for a moment and then sort of fizzle out. Yeah. Yeah. And it's hard because now so much of our, I don't know, media in the world is so driven by trends, especially with social media, like trending audio, like that's literally the social media that we consume is driven by trends and like encouraging us to follow trends. So it can be really hard to get out of that mindset, I think right now, um, when it comes to building a brand. So one thing that I always recommend to people, um, cause I feel like it's where a lot of people can kind of get stuck in this like trend black hole, <laughs> I guess. Um, is that whenever, especially if someone's DIYing their, their branding, um, the first thing that you might think to do is I'm going to go on Pinterest and I'm just going to, you know, search, um, you know, yoga logo or something and, you know, just start pinning everything that speaks to you, um, which seems like it's a fine idea, right? But it can easily turn into just being influenced by what's trendy or, you know, stuff that maybe you personally like, but is it really the best direction for your business? Um, Because you're just going through and pinning anything that like sticks out to you. And then, you know, you might revisit this Pinterest board that you've put together and then things feel kind of all over the place or disconnected or, or maybe, I don't know, you pinned a lot of things that you don't actually like that much. It was just kind of in the moment. Um, so that's a first thing that I recommend to people to avoid doing. Um, cause there's no strategy behind that, right? It's in the moment, just like, this is what I like type of thing. Um, what we do with our clients is before we look at any kind of Pinterest boards, gathering inspiration, um, we go through a list of very detailed questions talking about, what's the mission behind your business? What do you want to be known for? Um, What are the values that you want people to associate with you? Um, And like the personality of your business, you know, are you standing for um, intentionality, sustainability, um, kindness, um, innovation, you know, whatever. Uh, We usually try to find like three to four key values or like pillars of like, this is what we want to be known for in the world. Um, and of course, also thinking about your audience, you know, what are, what are they looking for? What are the things that matter to them that also matter to you? Where do those things overlap? All of that stuff. Um, and we're going to outline that very clearly. And then we go searching for inspiration so that we can filter out all the stuff that doesn't align with that. 
Um, and that makes choosing a direction that's strategic, not just trendy or like preference <laughs> driven. Um, yeah, it makes it a lot easier to find the things that are strategically aligned with your actual actual goals. Um, another thing that I think is really helpful as far as noticing trends and trying to move away from them, um, we always have our clients list out a few of their main competitors. Um, and I know some people don't like to pay attention to competitors because I think, oh, you know, I there's no use in like paying attention to what they're doing. I just want to do my own thing and like stay in my own lane. But it is important to at least notice what competitors are doing, especially when it comes to like avoiding looking too similar to someone else um, or just following like what everyone else is doing. Right. So we always have them list out, you know, three main competitors um, and we'll just kind of observe what types of logos are other people using in your industry? What types of color palettes, um, what type of packaging or even the tone of voice, like what are their taglines? What does their website look like? Um, we'll just kind of observe and make note. Are there any common themes or trends that are popping up? Is everybody using the same shade of blue, <laughs> you know? Um, and then we'll ask, okay, why is that? Is there a good reason that everybody is doing something in the same way? And if there isn't, then maybe that's a really good opportunity for you to go in a different direction. If everybody seems to be using blue in their color palettes, um, maybe you use an orange and that's an instant way to potentially stand out. But you've got to make sure that it's aligned with your values and, and everything. If you're um, trying to like be known as like this really joyful, playful, um, warm brand. And you notice that like, oh, everybody's using like all these bright colors and you're like, oh, I'm just going to go with like basic black and white. But like that doesn't really align with like joyful, playful, bright values. You, does that make sense what I'm saying? Totally, you don't, yes. you don't want to just break away from trends only for the sake of breaking away from trends. You you got to have both. It needs to break away from what everyone else is doing while also effectively communicating the message that you want to put out there. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, so I have a, a follow-up question as it relates to knowing your audience. If you're someone who is like, well, I don't really know who is out there listening. How, how do you, do you ever work with clients that, aren't really sure who their audience is or who they're trying to target yet. Yeah. Yeah. I do feel like it, it's, it's absolutely something that we want our clients to kind of have an idea of like before they get to us. Cause we just want to make sure that we're not accidentally going to design something for with the wrong person in mind. Right. Um, but yeah, I think that research, like doing user research um, or like audience research is the best thing that you can do to to hopefully figure that out. Um, if you're already in business and you've already had clients or customers, um, reach out to them and like send them a little survey to find out like, why did they choose you? What, what were they looking for that led them to you? Um, you know, what or maybe some other brands that they looked at. Those are things that are really helpful, um, I think, to to do. And of course, if you haven't started yet and you don't have any people yet that you can ask to like get a more clear picture of who the audience is. Um, I'm going to assume that you're probably your target audience. <laughs> um, if you're starting the business, like you're starting it for you first. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, I might ask yourself those those questions um, if, if you're a consumer, um, you know, what. What would draw you to to buy this service or purchase this product? Um, but, yeah, I think. Doing any kind of. Um yeah, surveying of people that maybe you think 
would be interested in your product is going to be helpful, even Mm -hmm. if it's friends and family, you know, but just kind of if it seems like maybe they're the type of person that would buy something, buy whatever you're offering. um, Yeah. Ask them some questions about like, what are their, what are the motivators that they would maybe buy something or buy this thing? Um, Yeah. The more in their head you can get, um, the easier it's going to be for you to tailor your messaging um, and also weave in some meaningful details in your in your brand and your website that are going to speak to that specific type of person. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> so, okay. The, I wanted the, the other second follow-up question is about color um, because I'm sure there's some psychology around color. And I've talked to a few different people on the podcast about color specifically. One of them is if anyone out there is listening and hasn't had a chance to listen to Walla, W-A-L-A-A, which is an interview I did. I think it was a few months ago. I can link it in the show notes. She's all about healing with color. So there's specific psychology behind each color and why you would choose it. Um, and so Abby, you started to talk about color in terms of like um, joy, lighthearted. And so it seems like it's a pretty important aspect to design. I was wondering if you could just expound upon that a little bit more. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, color is it, it's such a great way to subconsciously communicate a message. Um, and and it oftentimes brand when you're in the store, brands all around you are using color in ways that you might not even like realize you're, you're just instantly going to make an assumption about a product or about a service based on the color that they are using. A good example is um, it's getting kind of hot here in Spain. And so we were at the store the other day um, buying a new like fan for (laughs) inside our apartment. And there was one fan um, in this group, you know, all of them were like white you know, the, like the whole fan was just white, but there was one that the outside was white, but the actual blades on the inside of the fan were blue. And my husband, which I'm so proud as a designer, I was so proud of him for saying this. He said, oh, they use that blue because it makes you think that it's going to be colder. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And I was like, that's exactly right. And we did not buy that fan because it was way more expensive <laughs> than the others, but that's exactly right. And I was so happy that he has learned something from me <laughs> about that. But but it does. It's like a subtle thing that you might not even think about like, oh, why did they make that fan blue? But it is, you're going to notice that color and instantly feel like that's going to work differently than the others. Like there's something different about it. Um so yeah, it's something that we that we often um, have to like work through with our clients, trying to think of what's the emotion that we want people to get. Um, and of course, depending on you know the service or the product that you're offering, like and for food products, you know, color is so important for conveying flavors and you know what the ingredients are. Um, but with like service based businesses or, or other types of businesses, color is usually about the feeling that you want people to know that they're going to have after working with you or after using your product. Um, so yeah, those are, those are things that, that we're thinking about. I don't know. I could talk about color for forever, but you can look up, I would encourage people to look up, um, if you just Google like color psychology, you'll find a list that, that kind of highlights all of these different emotions, um, or themes that are related to different colors. Um, yeah. And it's going to be important. I think a lot of times people get caught up with choosing colors for their brand. They want to choose the colors that they personally like, or like Mm -hmm. colors that maybe, you know, you painted your living room because it's your favorite color, you know, and maybe it is a good choice for you to do that, especially if I know you kind of touched on this earlier, you know, there's sometimes the brand is you because mm-hmm. people are working with you. And so 
if you want your personality to to really be ingrained in the business and the brand, then maybe it is the right move to like use your favorite color <laughs> as one of your main brand colors, right? But sometimes a different color is going to be more effective in communicating subconsciously how you want people to feel or what the assumptions that you want them to make um, about the brand. So that's just important to be mindful of like, am I choosing this just because I it's my favorite color or am I choosing it because it's it's going to communicate what I want to say? Yeah, thank you. Okay, so I the I think the last direction I want to go is around um <clears throat> we I feel like I always kind of dance around this personally in terms of since for, in my case I am the thing that I'm selling, right? My services are health coaching, teaching yoga and meditation. Um and so it's it's always a question for me about how when we start to talk about getting into the mindset of the consumer or the client or whoever it is that I'm providing a service to, how do I do that in a heart-centered way? Which is one of the things that really drew me to speaking with you because um, that's like front and center on your website is designing heart-centered logos or products or whatever it is. I want it to feel um, intentional. I want it to feel transformative. I want it to be life-changing and sustainable because that's what these practices have given me in my life. And so whenever I start to think about um, not necessarily design so much, because I find design to be so um, creative and enlightening and just fun. But when I start to think about marketing and we use the terms of like getting into the psychology of someone else's head to sell them a product, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? It, I start to go, oh, am I supposed to be doing that? Like <laughs> that feels a little bit it makes me kind of stop and go, what, what am I doing here? And what is the purpose? So I wonder if you ever encounter that with your clients and if there's a way that you kind of work with them around that mindset of feeling like, okay, now I have to sell myself. And that feels a little bit, the word I'm, I'm going to use is wrong, but that's not the word I'm looking for. Cause it's not wrong. Like we're all here trying to feed ourselves. We're trying to offer something that is helpful and uplifting, right? Typically. Um, and so, yeah, I just want to address that. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's a really great um, quote and I'm not going to be able to quote it exactly off the top of my head, <laughs> um, but there's a good quote that we always share with our clients. It's from a book called Obsessed um, by Emily Hayward. And I highly recommend it to anybody. Um, our clients we usually mention it because we'll quote it and then our clients will end up buying it and reading it and they always love it. It's a really great book that's all about um, building brands and uh, they talk, it's the head designer for um, an agency that worked with like Casper and Allbirds um, and, you know, a lot of these like brands that really blew up over like the past, you know, decade or, or so. Um, but they talk about how the best brands out there doesn't feel like they're selling you something. You're just connecting with them based on a shared set of values. And that's what we try to really focus on um, with our process is just leading with that, the values that you're standing for as a brand. And if we can, if we can make those things come through with the branding, with the messaging, um, then it's not going to feel so salesy because people aren't, yeah, like I said, people aren't going to feel like you're just selling them something. They're just going to recognize, oh, this person cares about the same things that I care about. And so, of course, I want to support them and work with them and, and buy from them. Um, so, yeah, that's what we try to focus on a lot. Um, and I think how you get there, how you go from like, you know, you know what your values are, but then how do I translate that to coming through with my, with my branding, with my messaging, whatever. Um, of, of course, 
it's not, you know, so simple. <laughs> I guess there, there's a lot of things, things that need to be done kind of in the middle to get there. Um, one thing that I think can be really helpful as far as like helping our clients get kind of in the minds of their audience um, and then figuring out, okay, what things can we pull from that to reference in the design um, is we always ask, kind of going back to what I mentioned earlier, we ask, you know, what's the obvious problem that you solve or the obvious reason that people come to you? Um, and then we'll ask, okay, well, why is that important to them? And so they'll answer that. And then we'll say, okay, well, kind of asking, we just keep asking why. <laughs> we kind of keep going, asking why to get deeper and deeper. Um, a good example is um, one of our clients, they were um, opening a boutique store um, and they, they're they minimalists. They live very minimally and they have they have a daughter. They've learned how to like kind of raise her also being a minimalist and and notice kind of the benefits of like not having a ton of toys and stuff for your kids. If you have less stuff, um, it's easier on everybody. Um, so they wanted to have this shop with minimalist clothes and goods all in, you know, a beautiful style um, for kids. And so we asked, okay, well, why would people, what's the obvious reason why people would walk into your store? Um, and they said, well, it's going to like be very aesthetic. <laughs> They're going to like the the style of the clothes, um, you know, and they're going to like that they're, you know, come from good, uh, good brands, like no nothing that's like super cheap and, um, and everything, everything's going to be ethical and, and all of that. Okay. That's the obvious reason people would come in. Um, but what's like the deeper reason when they shop with you, what's the benefit going to be? Um, or like what, what's the benefit of having a more minimal wardrobe for your kid? And I said, well, you know, you're spending less money on stuff. You don't, you're not taking up as much room in the closet. And then we kind of like kept asking, okay, well, why is that important? How is that helpful? What does that mean for their daily life? Um, and we started to get to, well, you don't have as many options in the morning. So it's going to be easier for your kids to get dressed in the morning. And we were like, okay, well, why would that be important for them? And they're like, well, if they're not spending time or if their kid can get dressed themselves or if they're not spending as much time picking out clothes for their kids in the morning, that opens up room for eating breakfast around the table um, or or having some playtime before school. And they're like, okay, well, why is that important? And then we're like, well, everyone wants meaningful family time. And that's where we really get to like the essence of the brand. We're like, okay, that's, that's what we want to communicate. Cause that's something that isn't going to feel like salesy, Hey, buy our expensive pretty clothes, but saying, we want you to have more time with your kids. And this is one Avenue to get there. But this is what we really care about is creating happy moments as a family. Um, I hope that that's helpful. I feel like that was a good, totally. good, like way that we kind of kept asking why, why, why. And that helped us really narrow it down and feel like it was a, an authentic <laughs> kind of message for us to grab onto. Yeah. That's so helpful. I love it. And now I feel inspired to go clean out my closet. <laughs> <laughs> it makes me think of um, Steve Jobs, who I remember reading about or listening to somebody talk about how he'd wear the same outfit every mm -hmm. day, right? Like the same black turtleneck and black jeans, because that decision fatigue, like the amalgamation of the amount of decisions we have to make in a day. And especially for somebody like Steve Jobs, once we want our brain power to be able to focus on something else that is so much more important, so much more valuable, so much more intrinsic to who we are and what we're offering. Um, and I love that as an example of just, I mean, I could so identify. And I think that's something I always aspire to as someone who loves to adorn myself in beautiful clothes and often fall into the trap of like thinking I want more, I want more, but that doesn't fill the void of, you know, truly making me feel um, contented with a beautiful mm -hmm. closet. Cause then I can't find 
what I have and decision mm-hmm. fatigue sets in. So I love that example. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for the inspiration. Um, <clears throat> I'm going to be mindful of your time. I just would like to know if there's any key takeaway that you would like listeners to uh, take from this conversation, or if there's anything that you wanted to address that I didn't actually get to ask you. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I think key takeaway is, um, is, yeah, I mean, I feel like I touched on it a couple times, but just be mindful of personal preferences. That's where people get the most caught up in like following trends versus making smarter decisions as far as their branding and design and everything goes. Um, yeah, just be mindful of personal preferences. Any any time that you're choosing, you know, a font or a color or a logo, um, always ask yourself, you know, why am I choosing this one? And, you know, is it just because you think it looks good? <laughs> if it is, then, then maybe it's not the right choice. Um, you want to make sure that there, there is some intention behind it that connects to the message that you want to convey. Um, and yeah, I don't know when you're DIYing your brand, keep it simple. <laughs> You don't have you don't have to you know teach yourself to to use Photoshop or or you know draw um, a really intricate like logo or illustration. I don't know. I think when it comes to DIYing, because um, a lot of people ask for me for advice on that. Simple simple is better. <laughs> um, yeah, I think I those are my advice. yeah main. I don't know. <laughs> the best quick, quick pieces of, of advice that I could share. Yeah. I, those are great. I love it. Well, thank you, Abby, for your time. I really appreciate it. And it's been such a pleasure to speak with you and, um, where, okay. I guess this is the last logistical administrative question. Where can people go to find you and follow along with you? Yeah. Um, mainly active on Instagram. Um, so you can find me there. Uh, our account is at Wayfarer Design Studio. Um, And then, yeah, if you want to check out our website, we have a blog where we share lots of um, advice, branding, um, e-commerce, packaging, whatever, (laughs) Um, all the design advice um, on our blog. And we also have a a page on our site with some free resources um, if you're looking for that, which apply to anybody, you know, whether you're e-commerce or service-based or or whatever. Um, So yeah, that's our website is wayfarerdesignstudio.com. And if you add slash resources at the end, um, you'll be able to find uh, all of those. We have a, we talked about color. We have a brand color palette quiz um, that you can take on there. That's pretty fun. So yeah. Yeah. I'm excited for that. (laughs) Thank you, Abby. It's been such a pleasure. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. Everyone, that concludes another amazing episode of Outside the Studio. I hope you enjoyed yourself. I hope you learned something new, maybe remembered something old, maybe felt inspired to apply something to your life. My, <laughs> you can hear my dog in the background. She's doing a little happy dance. Um, so Daisy enjoyed it. Anyhow, I wanted to just pop in here to wrap us up to say a couple of things. Number one, I have such an amazing team that helps me put these podcasts together. Without them, I wouldn't you know, be able to bring these amazing conversations to you. So thank you to my producer, my director of creative services, my sound editor, my um, engineer, Consistency Media don't know what I would do without you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And the amazing creation and artistic musical genius, Drew Lovern. Thank you so much for putting together this music for specifically for outside the studio. So unique to the show. Only place you're ever going to hear it is right here. Thanks you guys. You make my world go around. Stay well, everyone. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review, share on the socials, especially if it's a show that you think, hey, this could help somebody else. That's what this is all about, right? We're sharing information so that we're better 
um, so that we're inspired, so that we're lifting each other up and we're learning how to be in this world, living on this planet to the best of our ability, sharing information and inspiring one another. And that's my hope. That's my hope for the show. Take care.